Welcome to Rock Your Cradle once again. We are here today with our guest, Michelle Steiner. She is Pennsylvania-based. She is coming to us today as an educator for people who care for individuals with disabilities. She specializes in that. She's a paraeducator. She also does writing and photography. And it's all collaborated on her website if you want to take a look. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Well, we're glad you came on. This is a topic that we haven't covered before. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people, I mean, I personally have this in my extended family that, mm -hmm. you know, we have people with disabilities that um, require care, require love. And to be honest, they're some of my favorite people. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. Uh, so I know that a lot of people will be able to relate to what you're about to tell us and, and teach us. So um, I just wanted to ask you before we get into all of that, if you could introduce yourself to us, where you grew up, your career path, how you got here. Sure. Well, my name is Michelle Steiner. Um, I live in Pennsylvania in the United States, and I uh, have a, I live with my husband, Aunt Ron, and our two cats, Jack and Sparrow. And I work as a paraeducator in a school, and I'm also a disability writer, photographer, and speaker. And a lot of the inspiration that I do today comes from my own experience with having a learning disability. I grew up in this area, and I was diagnosed very young. I was diagnosed with having a learning disability whenever I was in kindergarten. And school was a real struggle for me socially and academically, uh, especially with math. That seemed to be the subject that we knew from the time I was very young. I was not going to be a mathematician. <laughs> and I struggled with things such as hand dexterity, visual perception. Uh, we didn't find out about the hand dexterity until I was an adult, though. But all throughout my school years, I was given uh, specialty instruction and accommodations. And I knew that I wanted to go and help other people that had disabilities someday. And I also knew that I wanted to go to college. And there was a lot of people who didn't think I could handle that. I, I had teachers who told me, well, I don't think you can go to college because of your learning disability. Why don't you just go to trade school? Well, nothing there interested me. And I also uh, had a psychiatrist that told me that I would have... Um, I would not most likely go beyond community college, and I was told I'd have limited job choices, but I was able to go on and get my four-year degree. It took me a little bit longer. I, I graduated from community college and took a little bit of time off, but eventually it led me back to going to university and finding the right program and using the accommodations. And after uh, I was done with college, I thought, okay, I definitely want to go out and help people. And it took a while to find the right job with working with students. And I also started to uh, be able to use some of the things I was good at with writing. I can remember writing was always really healing for me. I, that was the first thing they found out I was good at. And my dad uh, found a picture, of, uh, not a picture, I mean, a story of that I did when I was younger about a dinosaur said, oh, this is really good. And that just encouraged me to write even more. And I had a friend in a writing group that really encouraged me to share my story about having a learning disability. And I thought, oh, no, that's too personal. 
But when I finally took her advice years later, and I had that first article published on The Mighty about my struggle with opening up doors with limited hand dexterity, that was one of the most healing things I've ever done. And that gave me more encouragement to write more articles and to start Michelle's mission. What a wonderful story of how you got to where you are. Um, what is your disability called, your learning disability? A dyscalculia or dyscalculia, depending on how you pronounce it. And I have limited hand dexterity in both of my hands and visual perception. Wow. So that's got to make it, well, I, I know you just talked about it. That's got to make it really difficult. Like in, um, how would you, you were talking about opening doors, but how about writing? How was that for you? My handwriting is not that great. It's very, uh, you cannot read it. <laughs> Even when that we've uh, tried multiple things when I was in school, I cried my way through the handwriting without tears curriculum. And from the time I was very young, it was pretty uh, known that I wasn't going to have great penmanship. I can still remember in second grade, a teacher putting on my report card a W indicating weakness. And we all knew that I wasn't great at handwriting, but the school had thought, oh, you're just not trying. And I've had people that would judge my handwriting. I've had ones that have uh, said that oh, you must have a messy room at home, which I did, but that wasn't because of my handwriting. And I, I also remember I had a peer that told me, well, if you want to be a writer, you better have, you're going to have to have neat handwriting. And thankfully, I learned how to type. And once I learned how to type uh, in 10th grade, it was a game changer. People could understand what I was saying. I have yet to have an editor or anybody else that wants a handwritten submission. I hope I never do because they won't be able to read it. <laughs> I do sketch out some ideas in my books, but uh, anything that I do submit or I put out there, I, I do make sure that it's typed. And it's just, it's just funny with that. And now we teach students when they're a lot younger how to write. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's a really funny comment that they said, you'll have to know how to write. And I was like, no one does that now. <laughs> yeah, no one does that now. <laughs> oh. So did that affect your self-confidence growing up? Uh, definitely, because everybody was judging it as a character flaw that, oh, you have messy handwriting. You, you're, you must be a messy person. You must, uh, yeah, that that was putting a, a label on me. And especially when I got older and I had someone that said that I had the handwriting of a serial killer. And it's, when you're saying those things, that's judging it where the, the reason I can't do this is because of, of a disability, not a judge on my character. But when you start making the disability into a character flaw, then that really does affect a lot of how uh, you view yourself. How did you extrapolate that from being a character flaw so that you didn't view yourself your disability as part of who you were as a as a person that was really hard for me because i can remember thinking if i just got rid of the disability then my life would be perfect and i wouldn't have this character flaw but what really helped me was when i went back to school and i got my bachelor's degree and then i thought oh I can do this as long as I have a program 
that is something that I can do and I have the right amount of accommodations. And that that really helped me. And also writing about it too really uh, did a lot for me because I could focus on things that I'm really good at rather than focusing on what I can't do. Yeah, I think that's important to recognize your strengths and lean into those and not go toward your weaknesses and kind of beat yourself up about that. I know a lot of people tend to do that. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And it's not good. No, uh, it's not. So you got your bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into paraeducation? I knew that I always wanted to work in a school and work with children. But I knew that being a certified teacher was not going to be the the wise choice for me. With taking uh, the teaching certification tests, I'm not a great test taker. But when I I'm able to still work in a school, make it feel like I'm making a difference, being able to work with students, support them academically, and uh, also just socially as well with a lot of skills uh, with advocacy. And that still gives me that experience, but it's not being the certified teacher. Brilliant. So you found, you you analyzed your own strengths. You analyzed what you were good at. And you also recognized some, probably I would say systemic limitations because of the tests and then slipped into what worked for you. Exactly. Because a lot of the tests, they, you have to at least have a certain score. And I knew that that was going to be really hard for me. And I didn't want to frustrate myself uh, any further. A and it was also part two, because a lot of people would tell me, oh, if Michelle just got her act together, she could become a certified ele elementary school teacher. And I thought to myself, if I kept, if I was going to get into this, it would really, def I, I would really feel defeated because I knew that I couldn't do that. And I had to assess my own strengths and uh, realize too that I live in a world and a system that's not meant for someone that has a disability. So I, I had to make a lot of wise decisions before I went and spent a lot of uh, federal money that our government does give to people that have disabilities and also my own money uh, just with other things too. I just didn't want to be wasting that. And I was able to graduate debt-free because I made a lot of smart decisions uh, with my education. That sounds like you're a lot of steps ahead of a lot of people with that. <laughs> so uh, you became a paraeducator and are you working in elementary school or in secondary school? I am working in a middle school currently, uh, this year with sixth graders. So it's really amazing to hear them at that age because a lot of times it's like a recording of myself. I hate my learning disability. I wish I didn't have it. And I get to be that voice that tells them it's not a bad thing to have a disability. And it just means that your brain is wired differently. You know, sometimes when people say disability, um, it may be a disability in that setting, but in other mm -hmm. settings, it's not. It's actually a power. Oh, yeah, definitely. If I am in a setting where I have things that that I enjoy doing, uh, speaking or reading or doing other things or sometimes just dealing with people, it's not, a di I don't have a lot of 
a, a disability. It becomes a disability when I, I go into the community and I'm not able to use um, an escalator and it's hard to find the elevator. Or, I mean, I am lucky that I can use stairs. It can be a disability whenever I'm in a math class and I am not able to understand the, the concepts of what they're doing. Uh, it can be a disability if I'm not able to drive because of my visual perception. And I'm very lucky to have somebody who uh, my husband's able to take me to work in the morning. And I have a, a wonderful coworker that takes me home in the evening. And I live in a location where I'm able to walk places, even though we have a pretty small town. But uh, it becomes a disability if I don't have a way to get somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Just the what is set up around you, the culture that you're in and everything like that. And here in the UK, there's buses everywhere. So it would be an entirely right. different setup. <laughs> True. <laughs> so you're working with these sixth graders, which is a lovely age to work with. I highly mm -hmm. recommend that age for so many different reasons. Um, and then how does, what kind of students, what kind of disabilities do the students have and it, this is my opinion and I could be very wrong on this but most of the people I mean who have disabilities are really awesome people really kind and really awesome now I know everybody has their moods whether or not they have a disability however it mm -hmm. seems like there's a special kindness around most of them that I know most of those people have disabilities and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about their disabilities and then a little bit about their personalities and how you have um, met them because I know a lot of our audience will have someone in their life and they can they have in their family or their friends and they can relate to this right a lot of the students I work with have learning disabilities because I'm in learning support, but we also have students that have autism. We have students that have um, behaviors issues. We also have students that have uh, attention deficit disorder. That That's another thing that we see a lot of. Uh, we also have students, some of the students that are in our school also have multi multiple disabilities. And we, some even have uh, are blind. Other ones might have a hearing impairment uh, and some have speech difficulties. And every single one of them is different and they all have different personalities. And I think whenever, you know, everyone's going to experience the, the disability differently. And, but I think sometimes when we have a student that a lot of people might think may be difficult, it's usually my experience that they're uh, either having something that's going on, a trauma, or else a lot of times it could also be uh, they can't read or they, they really struggle with something and it's just getting there and figuring out what a lot of that is. And some of them, they are, all of them are wonderful though, to work with. I just think that it is just one of the, the biggest blessings is being able to go in there and just be able to give back. And I really have a great group of students this year. Wow, oh, that is brilliant. Um, I guess the question I would have then is coming into all these various disabilities like mm -hmm. you've been talking about, and if someone's trying to support their loved one with it, um, 
I know it's going to be completely personalized to each person, what you do with them and how you help them and support them. What are some of the most commonly diagnosed disabilities that you see come through um, the students that you work with? We see a lot of students that have autism. That is definitely one of the things that we see. And we also see students that have learning disabilities. Those are all very common. It is estimated that one in five people has a learning disability. And those are a lot of the ones that uh, do co come through our classroom. And we do see behavior ones as well. A lot of that has to do with some of the demographics in our area. And also with COVID, I mean, that was something that a lot of our students uh, are dealing with and it, that has affected some of their behaviors. So I know learning disabilities is a huge basket of different things yes. and be behavioral, same. So let's start with the autism and then we'll talk about the other. Mm -hmm. so when you're asking if a parent or someone who is caring for that child comes to you and says, I am at my wit's end, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn. Where would you guide them to go to find out more information about, I mean, obviously they're going to be learning about that child and they'll love that child and they'll be the best person with that child, but would they feel they need support or more guidance? Where would you direct them? I think one of the first things I would tell them is to reach out to their child's teacher or the school. Sometimes they have great resources uh, of maybe what's in the community or just what the school can offer. But I also think it's also important, though, that they uh, go with the, the professionals with uh, mental health or with some educational uh, resources as well. Uh, the, pedi the, the child's pediatrician is also really great for that, too, to see what's out there. Uh, early intervention services are also wonderful. I know in the in the States we have a lot of services for children uh, from birth to three before they even get into school and a lot of pre-K programs that, that, that do work with students that have disabilities. So parents have some of those resources as well. And what would you say coming from your own experience of being the child who has a learning disability and now the adult who is helping children have learning disabilities, what would you say to a parent when they're saying things like, I just feel like I'm failing. I feel like I'm not giving them what they need. I would encourage them not to give up on their child because I know my parents didn't give up on me. And at times it was stressful. I can remember we would spend cheerful homework sessions in front of my math workbooks or studying for a test. And it, it would be hard because I would get frustrated. Sometimes they would get frustrated, but they didn't give up on me and they advocated for me. And that made all the difference in my life to have that support. So you do you kind of put yourself as an example of what a loving and supportive parent can give their child? Yes, exactly. That is a really good advice because, I mean, even just with children who don't have the learning disabilities, typically you can feel like you're not doing enough. And mm -hmm. that has got to be magnified when you feel there's you're not communicating well or there's some mm -hmm. extra piece. It's just an added hardship level, I think. Definitely. It, it can be really hard, especially as my parents' first child. So I think that was really, uh, they didn't have a lot to base development on. And then when my brother came along, they were all <laughs> looking like, oh, what is he doing at that age? And 
that was something too. But I think sometimes a lot of my parents also uh, sometimes didn't receive judgment for how uh, they're with having a child with a disability. I can remember with grades, my parents never really punished me if I if I didn't do well in a class or if I if, as long as I was trying. That was always the expectation. But I can remember there were people that would say, oh, well, shouldn't you punish her because she got a D on her report card or something? And thankfully, the school really provided the education with my parents to say, no, we don't punish. Just really encourage her to try and to do her best. And a lot of people didn't understand that. But it turned out with them not punishing me and being supportive of me and encouraging me, I had really good grades as uh, um, as long as you didn't put me in math, <laughs> regular in math, I mean, I was a learning support math, I, I did fine. And I even made honor roll whenever I was in school and made dean's list for a semester at college. So uh, having that support really made all the difference. That is amazing that you got your grades that high in spite of you. You really did work hard. It was a lot of hard work on my end. I could never figure out, oh, how, how much do I need to just get by? <laughs> I never knew. Maybe that was a blessing with the math, not not knowing uh, how many points that I needed. So I, I always was working really hard, to, like, because I, I can remember I had to repeat kindergarten, and that was always a fear in the back of my head. Oh, am I going to have to repeat another grade? Because I knew that that could happen, and not that that was my fault that I had to repeat it. It was really for my benefit to do it. But I just always was trying hard and studying and, and knowing how to do that. And uh, except for the math and the resource room, by the time I was in high school, everything else was regular ed classes. So a lot of that, it wasn't the advanced courses, but it was uh, a basic level, sometimes academic, I think. And I was doing well with, within that. That's, that's amazing. Well done. Thank you. So would you also advise for, well, let's break it down a little bit. When you say mm -hmm. learning disabilities, can you tell me a few of those that would be good examples? Well, the, one of the most common forms is dyslexia that everybody knows about, and that's a reading disability, but it also involves language where a lot of times people aren't, their brain cannot process language. Another one is dysgraphia, which is with the handwriting and also organizing your ideas on paper. And that that's another one. Uh, there's the visual perception part that I have with, with the learning disability that comes with that. Uh, there's, yeah, there, there's some language-based ones where other people have where it's really can be hard for them to... Uh, but what a learning disability is, it's not an indicator of intelligence. It's your brain is wired differently. And you'll have an area you're really good in, like I'm really good at reading, and I'm really, uh, there's, I'm really bad at math, so there's that gap. And that's what they look for when they do the testing to see that. Okay, I'm glad you defined that for people because it is a wide range of different things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and what about the behavioral problems that you were talking about and how have they changed before and after COVID? A lot of the behavioral problems, uh, a lot of our students did exhibit 
exhibit behaviors before COVID. Uh, we have a lot of demographics where students might come through where a parent might be incarcerated or somebody's in rehab and uh, there could they could go through some trauma. So that affects a lot of times the behavior. With COVID, whenever they were home, nobody was, the school wasn't open, so they were trying to do their work online, and a lot of times the work didn't get done. Uh, there wasn't a lot of the programs that we have now. I mean, we did have some that were outside of school, but the students were coming in and getting that consistency with having adults. Uh, so that really affected their behavior and some definitely academically, but also socially as well. A lot of our students didn't have that uh, time for, for interaction. So we're things are getting a little bit better. We are getting back into uh, routines and that has helped, but uh, it, it was hard for those years. So what are the behavioral, dis behavioral um, issues that you see? What are some of the ones that are, go into that big basket of different things? You can sometimes see things with um, ADD. A lot of times just the, the paying attention can be, can be hard. Uh, we also see students that come in that might have uh, difficult um, oppositional defiancy disorder. Uh, we get ones that come in that just really have a difficult time with getting along with other students. That can be something. Uh, we see a lot of anxiety th that comes in. That's been a big factor. And uh, depression can be something that, that can come in as well. And th those are just some of the things that, that we see. So I have, uh, I hear a lot mm -hmm. about someone who will say they have depression and anxiety. Could you break those up for us? Because I know that a lot of times people can't get those conflated or confused. A lot of times someone that comes in, uh, they can have both. Some of them can, we might see a kid, that, a child that comes in and they want to sleep or they tell, they say that they're, they're really depressed or they're really sad about things that are happening. It could be they're sad because the, their mom passed away and we're able to talk about that. Or they're, they're sad that uh, somebody went to rehab or, or somebody's in jail in their family. So we see a lot of that. And then sometimes they can be anxious. They can be anxious because they were in a situation that where they were unsafe with a, with another adult or just, uh, just generally um, perfection's a big thing. I get a lot of students that everything has to be perfect. And we can see OCD on, on a lot of that as well with a lot of our students. So uh, th there's that depression where they're just sad and not wanting to, they're not being, uh, not wanting to do a lot, but they can also uh, be, just be very anxious about school, be very anxious about learning and, and just life in general. So that anxiety is more of a, a worry about what might happen instead of mm -hmm. a, a hurt over what has happened. Sometimes it can be about what worrying about what will happen and also what has happened in the past because a lot of them have had trauma where they have let their guard down and they, they got hurt. So it's that anxiety too of, okay, what is happening? And sometimes they relive a lot of the, that trauma. And sometimes we don't even know about what they really are dealing with too. So how does that lead to behavioral issues? Just the fact that they are unwilling to engage in school entirely because they're dealing with this emotional turmoil? 
Sometimes it can be that. Sometimes we might have students that might put their head down and we don't want to do work. Or we have students that might act out in, in the classroom where they will cause a disruption to uh, get you upset, to get the class, get their classmates upset. So that can distract it from learning. Uh, we have students that just might come in and they may not come to school. And then when they do come back to school, we're trying really hard to uh, get them caught up on work and they have a lot of them that can create anxiety as well. Oh, I have all this work to complete and still dealing with a lot of the, the issues that they might have at home. So it does impact their learning. And until we can really deal with uh, what is going on with their uh, behavioral or their mental health, or just even uh, a, a child that might come in in the morning that didn't have breakfast, uh, we can't even get to the learning until we deal with those issues. Yeah, you have to meet those lower level mm -hmm. needs before you can get to the any sort of learning or analysis or mm -hmm. deeper thought for sure. Um, so for someone who has a child that has recently mm -hmm. been diagnosed with any of the things that we've covered mm -hmm. and they're a little bit wondering how it works. I know every school is different. Could you give them a general idea of once that child receives that diagnosis, what are the support methods? What happens? What are the meetings? Who do they talk to? And how do they get emotional support as they go through this process of finding out about this diagnosis and it becoming part of their lives? Right. One of the things that we try to do is sometimes a teacher will notice that we might have a student that is struggling and uh, we might refer them. Uh, we do have counseling services at, at our school building and we also have wonderful guidance counselors too. And we might refer them and say, okay, this person seems like they're, they're sad or they might've said something that's definitely concerning. And the, the guidance counselor will usually talk to the student and will definitely, if there's something going on, talk with the families and try to get them services that are in our school or encourage them also to get services outside, um, outside support as well. A lot of agencies that do counseling and can do uh, resources in, in, in the community is another great way to, do, to be able to get a lot of that support. And do they get to meet you and meet the people who will be helping their children in school? They don't get a chance. We don't, paraprofessionals generally do not meet a lot with families, but they can meet with their child's teacher. They're able to meet with uh, counselors. They're able to meet with uh, other other um, administrators at the school. Okay. Yeah, I, um, mm -hmm. I'm a certified teacher myself. So I, with that, learned how to do the individualized education plans and obviously you had to take courses on working and had some wonderful experiences working with children who have disabilities and it was um it's it's hard and it's so amazing when something they understand something and it clicks and it's a wonderful feeling it's like a a, a really extra triumphal moment Yes, definitely. And they also do have individual education plans if that is determined that that's, if they if they are identified with having a disability that under the 13 disabilities category. And even if they don't have that, 
uh, we do have a 504 plan. Well, at least we have a plan for students that do have them. And when you can see them just uh, thriving within that, it, you're, you're right, it is one of the greatest things. That also gets them access to different support, different um, mm -hmm. services, different accommodations like you had, correct? Yes, definitely. Yes, I had uh, specialty instruction whenever I was growing up in all areas uh, up until I was in high school and then it just became learning support math at a resource room. I had speech therapy when I was very young because my ears were clogged, so I wasn't saying uh, words correctly, but that stopped after uh, fifth grade. And yeah, it does give them a lot of the supports that they need. And after school, I was still able to be able to have supports because I had to get tested for a learning disability again. But under a lot of the, the laws, I was able to, I qualified for having extended test time, uh, having the test read, read aloud to me. And I even had a note taker. Every school's different on what they offer. And there's such a stigma though with accommodations, especially at college. I can remember I had people that would say, oh, those are cheating, or I wish I had a disability and I could use those too. And thankfully I was, uh, I didn't use them for a while and my grades really suffered when I didn't use them. But once I started using them, I was amazed my, a lot of my grades improved. I think people might fail to understand the accommodations are to help. If you think about it, what you're saying, your brain's wired differently and they are simply there to help you demonstrate what you actually can do and what you know. Right. And to be able to translate that knowledge to work within the system that has been set yep. up through university. It's not that exactly. it's a treatment. Yes. Um, I'm just glad I'm, I'm really proud of you to that. I know I don't have no place to say that. Gosh. It's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So is there anything else you'd like to share with parents or, or people who care for these children? I would recommend for parents or anybody that cares for the, their children that has a disability is to also look for their strengths because all of them have something that they're good at. And I think when you find that, that thing that they, they're good at and they enjoy doing, if you can encourage that and nurture that, that is so much more empowering than focusing on what the person's going to struggle with. Also more empowering for the child too. I mean, that's probably what you meant, but to to only yeah. be pointing out someone's weakness, and that would make it harder for anybody. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because you think, oh, I must, I must not have anything good to bring when everybody really does. Exactly. Um, and then I, I've worked with people of varying levels of disability, mm -hmm. some people with extreme disability and some mm -hmm. people with mild yeah. disabilities. And I must say, I, I just, I've counted every minute of those times a blessing, to be honest. And this mm -hmm. is not to say that parents should never feel discouraged. That's perfectly right. normal. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah. sorry, carry on. 
Yeah, definitely. It's normal if a parent does feel discouraged, but I think it's also, and it is a process that parent goes through a, a grieving process of having a, a child that doesn't have a disability and the person that, that has one, a lot of times they, I know I went for one too, where I had to grieve that I was a person that was uh, neurotypical, wasn't neurotypical and I had to grieve that loss. So I think that's important too, but there's just such a joy that comes out of that once you uh, accept yourself for having a disability, for, for being different. And I think once um, a parent accepts that too, there's just such a greater joy that comes out of that. Yes, for sure. There was, um, I remember there was a wonderful woman that I worked with once and mm -hmm. we were working in a, an orphanage where these children had disabilities. We were working together and mm -hmm. she had probably the sweetest, most loving spirit toward these children. She decided she wanted to adopt a child with a disability. Oh, she so really, wrong. really loved these children. And I think it is, to, to back what you were saying, it can be, and probably is, you have this expectation of what, you, this picture of what you think life will be like with your child. And you have mm -hmm. to grieve the loss of that future that you haven't had yet, which is a bit of a funny thing to say, but you're right. It's to, to grieve an expectation. And that can be a legit, legitimate, really hard grieving process. I've been through that to think, you know, what's going to happen or, you know, how something is going to be like that you really know. And then it turns out completely differently. Yeah, exactly. It does. I mean, sometimes you, you think you're going um, to have this happen and it doesn't turn out how you expect it. And I can just remember the back to the encouragement that my family gave, especially my dad. He always told me uh, not to be discouraged because I would have success, but it might just not come with a package that I expected. And I was really negative for a long time, but I found that he was right. It I have had a lot of success and it hasn't come in the package that I wanted it to come in, but it's coming out something so much better. It seems like you're a really big blessing in the lives of these children, just that you're so passionate about your work, so passionate about your experience and about sharing it. Yes, definitely. I, I get that opportunity when I'm in there. And sometimes I do tell them, well, I have a learning disability too. And then they'll look at you like, you do? <laughs> And um, I, I get that chance to share it. And sometimes it's hilarious. I remember I was working in a first grade room and I was trying to help a student with math. And I, of course, I couldn't get it even at the first grade level. And I, the little girl couldn't understand why. And I, she goes, why can't you get this? And I, I said, well, I'm just not that great with math. And she goes, there's grown-up school for that. And I've had other students that uh, I have asked me, well, why can't you do it? And I'll tell them, well, I'm just not that great at it. And I had a student that said, well, that's me too. And that was really a chance to connect with one. And I also, all the kids know, or they're starting to realize this year, <laughs> I cannot help them with math. And I make sure that they, they understand that. And sometimes I explain it's because of the disability. And sometimes I just say, well, I'm not that great at it. But I think that's humbling. But I think it also shows that adults are not perfect. Everybody has something that they're good at and everybody has something that they struggle with as well. 
Yep. And it's just different levels and different stages and different abilities. Yes, exactly. And there's no stigma in that. That's just how people are. Yep, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, um, is there anything else you'd want to say before we finish? I would just love to encourage people with and without disabilities to know what they want and to be able to find a way to do it. I love that. That is a great way to end with it because for people supporting the children with disabilities or family members with disabilities, and then for the people themselves, yes, find what you're good at. Of course, accentuate that and decide what you want to do. And you can have a life that makes you happy and makes your loved one happy. It has meaning and purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I see you nodding along there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, Michelle, once again. I wish you the best of luck in your work. And I think your students are really lucky to have you. Um, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening today. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. If you do have a loved one with a disability, we will link Michelle's website below so you can go ahead and have a look and see how she supports that. And please reach out to people. If you think your child has a disability, you can look for a diagnosis and get that accommodation and support that will make their journey through school that much easier and their journey through life because people will understand that they have other ways of thinking and they can start to get some help to to make their um, brain be able to connect with the world that has been constructed around them, which is really what we're trying to do. All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye.